Okay. <coughs> so we're going to go through our tour portion this week. But hey, if you see or I just love Deuteronomy. It's such a good, just such a great uh, book, and to hear, you know, God and Moses' somewhat final words to the people of Israel before they head into the land, and uh, it's just great. So many good, so many important, pertinent, relevant things are talked about it that. I used to, um, I remember, you know, before kind of coming into a Hebraic, Messianic way, uh, I used to look at, you know, basically Genesis was mildly interesting, uh, Exodus was, you know, the Exodus story was kind of cool, Leviticus and Numbers were like, Meh. you know, you just wanted to quickly try to get through those. And Deuteronomy was like, yeah, it's pretty interesting, but it's not really relevant to me. And then, you know, some of the prophets were neat, and, you know, the different stories. And, um, you know, now, seeing, understanding that we as believers and followers of Yeshua are grafted into Israel, and our, and our, you know, that is our heritage, um, it all applies to us now. That's the, the biggest thing. You know, I was talking to a, a client and friend yesterday, and, uh, and he's, a, he's a great guy and a good Christian. You know, he uh, can listen to the Bible on audio, but, which I found really cool. <laughs> but one of the things he said to me, which I used to think, and, um, is, you know, man, you really see, he was saying, that how stiff-necked the Jews were. You know, and it just had to bite my tongue because, first off, you know, our culture nowadays, and even Judah today, calls all of Israel the Jews, which is a misnomer, incorrect. Uh, the Jews are one tribe of Israel, but it is Israel who calls Israel. And a little bit he know is that he's actually grafted into Israel and those things which God will tell us in this Torah portion not to do are the very things that modern Christianity has taken up doing. And so instead of holding to God's word and not and, and, and being a supple of heart and not being stiff in that, we has we have adopted the ways of the nations and we have become saturated with uh, pagan influences and uh, anything you can imagine and have left off doing what God is doing. Called us to be to be a separate, called out people, peculiar, his own possession, um, and he has given us his word. And so, you know, unfortunately, so much of um, so much of the, the the you know Christian church, I'll say commonly, has uh, does not understand that. You know, and that to me is the fundamental issue. If we can, if if people can understand as a follower and you know of Yeshua. Jesus, that they are grafted into Israel, that to me changes everything because you're no longer, you can't theologically separate yourself anymore from those poor Jews in the Old Testament because, you know, if you were in the first century following Yeshua around and had a, and you had said, 
you know, we don't need to go to the synagogue anymore today, Yeshua, because, you know, you're here and that's all done away with. You know, everybody would have looked at you like you were crazy because everybody in the New Testament still knows what's going on Eventually, Yeshua said they'd be kicked out of it, but they didn't just automatically switch to Sunday. You know, they still kept the Shabbat, kept all the festivals. Um, that is the witness that we have. The where things started to change was later on. All right, so let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll start there. And then we'll pray first. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day, Shabbat, this time, place to come together and read and study your word. I pray that you would just, you know, burn it into our hearts and minds and we would walk it out and do it and be a light in this world and that we would shine forth your glory and your truth to that will make sense of life instead of the chaos and the, and the tribulation that's out there and just complete, completely devoid of any wisdom. So I just ask that you would uh, help us to be your representatives and to shine forth the, your truth as we go and that uh, we would be enriched through your word um, and you would conform us to the image of your son. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Right, so we're going to start out Deuteronomy 11.26. And um, we're, gonna, and we're, we're I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to highlight certain, section, certain sections of the core portion here. Because I think there, because there's some really fundamental and important concepts that are laid out here. So, eleven points. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of Yahovah your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of Yahovah your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. So, it's just so he starts out and he says, Behold, I set for you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments and a curse if you don't obey the commandments. And what I find really interesting is he says, But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day. You know, there's like there's a song, um, or no, there's a there's a Christian radio song program, and their introduction song is walk, walk in or in the word. Is it in the word or in the way or something like? Yeah. Well, God's only given us one word from the beginning, because and that's Him, and He doesn't change. He tells us that, and so that word is the way, and we're to walk in it. And it means to keep the commandments, and so. What I want us to see, too, is it's not a blessing like sprinkling pixie dust on someone, which is what we get from our Disney indoctrinated mind. Um, and it's not a curse, <laughs> zap you with the end of my finger, like, you know, they're <laughs> cursed, cursed, you know. Those are, those are uh, pagan culture influences that we have been indoctrinated with as from a little child. Blessing and curse are natural ramifications for the way God ordered the universe. He created everything to function according to his word because it's his word that framed the world, the universe. If you do not, if you defy the laws of physics and the which is his word, and you go and you pull, I'm breaking my own path, do whatever I want, well, then things are going to 
decay and things are going to fall apart and there's going to be fallout for that and there's going to be consequences which are natural ramifications. So if we choose to, you know, thumb our nose at God and say, well, no, I'm going to go do whatever I want and I can worship God on any day I please. Um, and I don't have to do Sabbath. Take, take your break. Well, then there's going to be consequences for that and there's natural ramifications. And sometimes God uses uh, other nations to punish his people. Sometimes uh, disease ensues. Sometimes there's famine, uh, weather occurrences. Because, because the whole of the universe operates according to his word. And when we, because we're the only ones that choose to disobey it and, and can choose to disobey it, all the natural things just function naturally as God created them to. And so when we choose to divert from the path that he's, the way he's given us to go in, chaos ensues. And so what we tend to try to do is figure out other ways around it. We get really clever. We do that in, um, you know, uh, today, I believe a lot of our environmental, air quotes, I'll put that in, problems are not because we're all driving around cars uh, or we're digging a wheel out of the ground. It's because we don't obey God. And we don't live our lives by the principles of, based in his word. And so we go about, you know, cars may be part of the problem. That's not my point. Don't get hung up on that. My point is, when you do not live a life obeying and serving God and keeping his word, everything goes into chaos. And you see that magnified. I'll do a little illustration. It's the flood, right? God originally intended for there to be dinosaurs on the well, along came man and decided to do whatever he pleased, so God had to wipe everything out of his blood. And so, was that his original intention? No. Why did he have to do that? To preserve the life of man on the earth. Because otherwise, the men would have made themselves extinct. And so God's whole point of everything would have been lost. And so, he had to mercifully wipe out everything on the earth and start anew with Noah and his family so that he could seem to sustain things. Otherwise, it would have just gone into corruption. Okay. Okay. So, there is natural ramifications for our, our disobedience. There's blessings if we obey, and there's curses if we, we do not obey. But we need to define those blessings and those curses by the Word of God, not by whatever we... we um, we, we culturally have decided to uh, define those things. And, 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 and I'm going to explain that a little bit more as we keep going. Okay. 29. And it shall come to pass when Yehovah thy God hath brought thee unto the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the cursing upon Mount Abal. And they, um, are they not on the other side of the Jordan? By the way, where the sun goes down in the land of Canaan, which dwell on the uh, campaign over against Gilgal, besides the plains of Moray. For you shall pass over the Jordan to go in and possess the land which Jehovah your God gives you, and you shall possess, possess it and dwell therein. And you shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Um, and then, so, now, this, this ties directly into what he says in the beginning. He says, I present before you this blessing and this curse. Obey my word. I brought you out of one foreign pagan government world, Egypt, took you into the wilderness, 
and hit the reset button and gave you my word, my instructions, and my culture, and your holidays, and how you treat each other, and how you do commerce, how you do taxes, what you eat, what you wear, how you harvest, I mean, everything. Where, how you deal with when you go to the bathroom. You know, he, he set down the guidelines to establish uh, a national culture, identity, people, and laws, and governance. He laid it all out there. So, he tells them very plainly, verse um, 1, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land. Which I have by your God that giveth thee to possess it all the days of you that you live in the earth. 2. So, first thing they need to do when they get in there. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains, upon the hills, and under every green tree. You shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire. You shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. So the first thing they're to do is to erase any evidence, whatever, of, of any place where the, these nations had served their God. Why? Because he knew they would leave them there, which they ended up doing. They would slowly uh, infiltrate, inf these things would slowly infiltrate and, and be adopted into their own lives by virtue of osmosis. You know, as the saying goes, um, bad company corrupts good habits. I think it's more. Oh, whatever it is. Good. Back on the throat, good morals. Yeah. In other words, these people were allowed to live in the land, you know, they would do such things as, well, we should have an archaeological study of what this culture was like, and blah, 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 for educational purposes only. And we all know that's a bunch of BS. So, because what happens is, it slowly gets absorbed into the culture. And so what happens is, and it's always innocent, <coughs> Uh, so for, I'll give you an illustration. So when I was a kid, under, uh, we used to make fun of someone of Bostonian accent and say, "Oh man, that's really weird." And so we said it as a joke because it was something that wasn't part of our culture, and we thought it was funny. And so we would say it. Well, now I tend to say an awful lot. That's wicked weird. Because so by virtue of just slowly saying something, or even the word wicked. It infiltrates into your everyday life and practice, even though it started innocently and you didn't really mean it to be what you were, and that's not really who I am. Well, yeah, it is now because you do it all the time. That's what happens, and so that's why God said you need to obliterate and demolish all of these things because they were slowly creeping through your mind. And so we were now living in the diaspora in 2017, and, you know, we have so much baggage to break down and to tear down and to destroy and to demolish in our own lives and to try to extract ourselves spiritually and, and, and emotionally and mentally. Physically, we can't really do it. Messiah is one day going to come and do that for us. But we are on this path of restoring his ways in our own lives. And so if, we, if it starts in the heart, it will then go to our mind and then be implemented in our lives. So, and this is a, this is a generational thing, you know. It, it takes the sins of the father to pass the third generation. So it takes time to So, but we in our own lives have to break down these altars, these pillars, these groves, and, and all these things. So, so that their the blessings can flow 
you have to keep those things out of your life because there will be chaos that ensues otherwise. Because it is not these, these, these idolatrous practices and these things that are not according to God's culture, God's word, will, uh, will wreak havoc and get in and throw things off so that the body is sickly and, and not whole and not functioning properly. And then we all wonder why and pray for healing and weep and mourn and moan, you know, and wonder, you know, what our problems are and how come God didn't heal us. Well, you know, if you had obeyed in the first place. Now, is there, are there ramifications? See, the, the flip side of this is the real, the real side of this and what, what the nations tend to say and what other believers tend to say of us is, well, how could God let that happen to a poor, innocent little kid? You know, a drunk driver hits a car and wipes out a whole family. And there's a bunch of innocent kids in there, you know. The problem is there, is there are ramifications for sin that end up being inflicted on innocent people. And that is reality. And so that's why, that's why, that's why God says, you know, to, to wipe these pe- certain peoples out when they go in there. Because l- left there, there would be so much more of that in chaos that would ensue. He knows that. And so the merciful thing is, is to get rid of it so that God's ways will be observed and the blessings can flow for the first generation instead of more curses and propagated. Go to. Oh, Okay, so now he puts, so just in case they were going to wonder whether or not it's okay to adopt any of these things after he just told them to wipe it all up, he says in verse 4, You shall not do so unto Jehovah your God, but unto the place which Jehovah your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation you shall seek, and thither thou shalt come. In other words, you're going to destroy all these places, and you're not going to adopt any of it. You're not going to implement any of it. But you're going to go and serve and obey God and worship Him in the place that He chooses to put His name. And you're going to seek Him there. Sixth, and you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your free will offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and your flocks. There you shall eat before Yehovah your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you've put your hand unto. Ye households, whither... Wherein Jehovah thy God hath blessed thee. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. So still, even before they went in, there were problems. And Moses knew that. Everybody was running around doing whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. Well, that doesn't mean that to me. You know, haven't we all heard that before? Well, I think to me, you know, in my mind, you know, any of these, these qualifying statements... You know, to me, in my mind, I feel that it's like it just—it's irrelevant what you think and what how you feel and what's in your mind. God's already told you. You know, it's like I don't care. I don't care. This is not a discussion. You know, we're not debating over what I tell you to. It's my child. This is the law of the house. You do it. Otherwise, it's Christmas. Thank you. Ground you. More chores. Whatever. You know, so we, we all can fundamentally understand these things. All right, let's see here. 
So they were supposed to utterly destroy. So there's blessings and there's cursings. There's natural ramifications. They were supposed to utterly destroy all the idols and seek God's house. Um, let's go up to um, 19. Do not um, uh, take heed to thyself that thou forsake not a Levite as long as thou liveth upon the earth. I find it really interesting that he puts that in there. Um, because it's right after, you know, some of the festival stuff and the ties and, and the sacrifices things. And so it's interesting to me how there's such this dynamic tension between the quality of the leadership and them doing what they're supposed to be doing. But on the other end of the spectrum feeding into this is every individual family responsibility to do what they're told to keep the whole machine running because if they didn't live how they were supposed to so that then the rain would fall and the crops would grow so that then they could tithe and they could eat themselves and then they could and then they actually take care of the Levite because I don't know how it, it seems to me when you read this stuff that there weren't people walking around enforcing the tithe necessarily it seems to me that it and I could be wrong on this. But either way, people are pretty good at hiding stuff, even if there were people walking around enforcing it. So there was this element of personal responsibility of you before God to give of your tithe to sustain the Levites, who would sustain the house, who would teach the people in the communities, who would enforce the laws, who would uh, govern in manners of health, um, to make everything work correctly. So this idea that's common in our culture, well, I don't really care if, you know, if, they're, if they do that in their own home, in their own house, and it's not hurting anybody, then it's fine. Well, that's just a very untrue statement, because whatever happens in their own house, in their own time, in their own family, affects everybody. Because your actions bleed into your life, which affects, you know, you can understand it in our common culture, which is, but I was going to use an illustration of whether you pay your taxes or not, but maybe back way in the beginning of our nation, if you paid your taxes and went towards good things. But my point being that God has set up his nation and his people to function as a coherent whole, and if there's a breakdown in any, in any section, uh, there's consequences for that, there's curses for that. And it's just like in our own bodies. It's like you can put you can have little cuts, and that's not going to kill you, because the rest of the body will absorb that to a certain degree. But if it's bad enough, if the infection is bad enough, if the cut is bad enough, then the whole body will fail. And it's the same thing in, in the body of Israel. If the breakdown is large enough, the whole body starts to fail and die and have a problem. Sustains it all. So they were to uh, take care of the Levites in 19. Alright, now let's go up to um, 12, um, 28. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee, and with thy children after thee forever. So, I mean, you know, it should be pretty clear what that says. Hear and obey these things forever, that it go well with thee and thy children. 
but you know, we tend to come along and on both sides, Judaism and Christianity, and say, um, you know, that's added. We, we're going to add this. We're going to change that. We're going to take away this, modify that, and and then you know, wonder why we have problems. But he says, observe these, but it may go well with thee and thy children after thee. When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of Yahweh thy God. And the only thing that determines what's good and right in the sight of God is His Word that He has given us. Because when Yeshua and the Apostles were on the scene, there was no New Testament written yet. All they had was the Tanakh. And so the definitions of terms and ideas and theological propositions was all defined by the Word of God. And it, part of the beef that Yeshua had with the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees was that they, they had manipulated and twisted and perverted things. So that's why Yeshua said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not answer the kingdom of heaven. And I used to think, like, how does that work? Because they're the ones keeping the law. Well, that's a completely wrong. They were not keeping it. Yeshua came, part of his mission was to restore the Torah, was to uh, uh, as he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and prophets, but to fulfill them, meaning uh, to interpret them rightly, to restore them to their fullness, to give, bring the life back into them, instead of making it backwards on white paper that you can manipulate and make case law and figure out ways around it so that we don't have to uh, obey it, basically. And that's what had happened. And so, there was problems. The people were a disaster. There were uh, factions and issues, and so that's what he was coming to us for. Okay, observe these things. Uh, where did I want to go to? 29. When Yahweh thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess, and thou succeedest them, and dwell in their land, take heed to thyself that thou not be snared by following them. After that day be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Well, even so, I'll do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto Yehovah thy God. For every abomination to Yehovah which he hateth they have done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they burnt in the fire their gods. Whatsoever, what things whatsoever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereunto nor diminish from it. It's pretty straightforward. So if you're thinking about going to the land and adopting any of their practices, don't do it because I hate it all and that's why I wanted it wiped out. Don't add them to my word. Don't diminish It doesn't get any more clear than that. But that's been the battleground and the issue and problem before Moses was speaking all this because he had to set what he was doing right now. Okay, now we'll get into uh, chapter 13. And, um, which I find interesting because, you know, it seems initially like, how do we go from this to the prophets and the dreamer of dreams? But the issue is, um, you know, these things are very real. Uh, the gifts of prophecy and dreams and these things that, that God does work through in and of his people. And so God's clearly a clarifier of how do we know who to listen to. And so... He tells us, verse, chapter 13, verse 1, If there arises on, among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dream, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, 
wherever whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou, sh- oh, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. So, first there's this prophet or dreamer of dreams, and they give him a sign or a wonder, whatever that is, or means, whatever. But the thing is, it comes to pass. And that's the really thing that we tend to get hung up on, is we tend to think, oh man, if whatever they said or did was true, then it must, it, it must be from God. Well, the qualifier is, is what he says there. But there, let us go serve other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Now let me qualify. Does it doesn't mean, um, let's mix in a little bit of uh, Baal worship, or, you know, offer your odd child, you know, on an altar. Serving other gods can be, uh, you, can, you can make your own God, basically. And all that is, is by redefining what God's word says on how we observe and obey, to do, serve him and obey him. And so if you're taking away from or adding to or mixing in um, what God says to do or not to do in his word, then you know that that prophet or that dreamer of dreams is not someone you should be listening to, at the very least. Okay, so there needs to be a lot of discernment in this, especially in the Messianic movement, because this stuff is going on. It's going on in Christianity, and it happens in Judaism, too. And, um, you know, so the, these things are happening. So we have to have a spirit of discernment to be able to differentiate, um, you know, is this person leading us after God's word and God's ways and obeying him? Or is it a mixture of other pagan influences and things and weirdness and that? So we have to be... Um, so he says, verse 3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words that thou prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. I find this thing interesting, what, what he says here. Don't hearken unto the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For Yehovah your God proveth you to know whether ye love Yehovah your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So he allows these prophets or these dreamers of dream who prophesy or dream dreams and make a sign or a wonder, and it happens and it comes true and it's a whole lot of shock and awe, but then mixing in a little bit of false information into this system. And so God is actually then using that to test us to know whether or not we, who we will serve. Will we follow God and his word and what he's already said and he's already laid forth? Or will we be taken with the glitz and the glam and the shock and the awe and a little bit of uh, foreign matter influenced in there? And he's trusting us to see what's in our heart, whether we really will love him and cling to him and his words or will follow the ground. So, and then he says, You shall walk after Yehovah your God, and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, and serve him, and cleave unto him. Forget about everybody else. And that prophet, that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from Yehovah your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way, which Yehovah thy God commanded thee to walk in. So thou shalt put the evil away from the midst of thee. And then it goes on. And I mean, it gets really personal. It says, if thy brother, thy son, uh, thy mother, daughter, wife of thy bosom, friend, which is of thy own soul, entice thee, saying, let's go up and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, no, no, uh, not known. Thou, thou know thy fathers, namely the gods of the people which are around about thee, not into thee, or far off from thee. 
one end of the earth even to the other, so he's covering everything. He says, I don't care if it's close to you, far away, you know, kind of cute prayer flags from Nepal or whatever. You're not to be, uh, listen to them. Don't consent unto him. Don't hearken unto him. Your eye shall not pity him. Neither shalt thou pair, spare. Neither shalt thou conceal him. That's, to me, that, that one's, that one gets at the heart of what he said um, back in um, uh, back in verse 3. To know whether you love Yehovah, your God, with all your heart or all your soul. Who do you really love? Will you love, obey, and serve God and do the hard thing? Or will you conceal the evil in your midst? Even if it's a close family member. Now, we can't we're not living in a theocracy. We don't have a Sanhedrin, so we can't go around, you know, stoning people and enforcing this. But the principle still applies. Who are we serving? Who are we listening to? Who are we walking after? Are we allowing things into our life and concealing them? Or are we going to obey God? But thou shalt surely kill him. Verse 9. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So, this would create, you know, a quite an environment of healthy fear that if you're going to be a dreamer or prophet or a dreamer of dreams, you know, your life could be at stake. You know, nowadays, anybody can spout off whatever they want anywhere on the internet or congregations or anywhere with basically no ramifications. So we're not so back in the day. And, um, you know, with, with uh, the, the consequences, if the consequences of, their, of, of prophesying or, and, and leading people away from the Word of God were in effect, I think it would put a whole... I don't think there'd be quite so many these days. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Okay. So, and all Israel shall hear and fear, verse 11, and shall do no more any such wickedness as is as this is among you. Okay, so, now, let's keep going here. Uh, oh, four, no, no, let's go up to chapter 14. And, um, he goes through all of, like, the dietary um, things that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cover right now. And some, some other stuff in verse, chapter 14 which you can, you can read about if you want. But what I want to focus on is, um, go up to 14... 27. And the Levite that is within thy gates. So in other words, there was always a certain amount of Levites that lived there. They were spread all over the, the country. And there were the Levitical cities as well. They weren't all just huddled in Jerusalem. And so again, they were supported by uh, the people because they couldn't own land. And so because they couldn't own land, they lived in the cities and they were supported by the people. But they taught, they taught the people. They were responsible for the dissemination of God's word and instruction. And so, uh, the Levite that's within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. 28. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all of, thy, all of the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because thou hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come, and shall eat and be satisfied, that Yehovah thy God may bless thee in all the work that hand which thou doest. So, there's the regular tithe, which is your 10% tithe. 
flat tax. So I wouldn't mind if we had that. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, I didn't get into the argument with a friend of mine, but he uh, uh, sent this email about how you know, there's other insurance companies and that maybe a single-payer system for healthcare would be better. Um, and what I wanted to write, and he said his, uh, his argument was, you know, if you don't want uh, single-payer health care, then why do we have government-funded, mandatory K-12 through education? And um, which most people would be like, oh, uh, uh, you know, stutter at. Well, I don't think health care is right, and I don't think uh, uh, government uh, um, education is a, is, is a right either. If you look at the biblical model, the family is responsible for teaching the children, and healthcare is taken care of by the community and those who are within the community, because and so you have your ten percent flat tax, and that basically goes to run the company, country, and the temple, and then you have this uh, and, the, and the Levites, and then you have this every three years, you 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 have another ten percent tithe, which is stored up over those three years, so it's three point whatever three point three percent every every year, and that tithe goes to um, the Levite that's with you, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that they can come and eat and be satisfied. So it's important, too, to notice that um, this also isn't, it's not money, per se. It's, it's, they're storing up food for them each year so that they can, they can, that can build out within the community basically for those that are in need. And so it's a brilliant economic system. Ours is built on exploitation and built on the backs of um, usury and debt and uh, exploiting people. So then it goes on, and so at the end of every seven years in, in chapter 15, at the end of every seven years, there was a release of debts. So if you had gotten yourself into debt, at the end of every seven years, that was released. You no longer had to pay that back. Uh, and it, it lands went back to people. Actually, I might be wrong on that. That might be at the Jubilee. I think that is. So anyway, there was all there was debts forgiven at the end of uh, seven years, and then it goes on and it says, now if it's in the sixth year and your brother comes to you and needs to borrow money from you because his house burned down and he's got you know how's he going to build a house? He, he needs twenty k. Can you loan it to him? You've got the twenty k. But you know, he's not going to pay, be able to pay back the 20K before the end of the six years. And at the seventh year, I've got to release that. That's exactly what we're not supposed to do. You shall not, it's because he says, Thou shalt surely give him, this is verse 10 of 15, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest to him, because that for this thing, Yehovah thy God shall bless thee in all thy work, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. So. He's, he's, he's saying, you know, you're not supposed to have an evil eye, is what that, that term there is. Uh, I think it says, maybe not here, but, or, but yeah, uh, in verse 9, the seventh year, the release is at hand, and thy eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he un cry unto Jehovah against thee, and it be sin unto thee. So it is actually sinful to not loan money to him who is in need in the sixth year, knowing full well that you're not going to get it back. And so God sets up these provisions for an economic system to take care of those who are in need within the individual community. 
it doesn't all go to a giant federal government and then get doled out while they pocket a little bit on the side or a lot of it on the side for themselves and do horrible, awful things all in the wall. It was designed to maintain the people and to maintain the community and maintain the Levites and maintain the instruction system and the temple so that the, so that everything would be, the provisions would be in place so that the people could serve and obey God properly. That is the economic system I would like to vote for. Not everything that mankind devises. Well, a lot of it was like that before World War II. It's World War II and FDR yeah. Yeah. and all this. Yeah, New Deal, yeah. No. <laughs> so, that is... Um, how would I define myself as a... Uh, you know, that's what I, what I, you know, I, I don't define myself as a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian. It's like, I'm a Biblical Theocrat. Which, you know, oh man, what kind of Libertarian are you in today's day and culture? But if you, if, but see, the problem is the people who say that, they don't know the heart of God. They don't know the scripture. They probably never even read it. Like I was, a couple summers ago, swimming with a friend and he was talking about, I wonder if we came from the water first or from the land. And I said, well, I was like, God, it says in the Bible, God formed us from the dust of the earth. And he's like, you're a creationist? Wow. But he doesn't know any of the hard science-backed information to support the Bible. Because there is more evidence, scientifically, to support what's in the Bible than all these hypotheses that... Pixie dust on the back of crystals that flew by a comet, fell into somewhere, and then lightning struck it from somewhere, and then that turned into that old building. And it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know, but yet we're spoon fed that, and you're called a heretic if you don't believe that, you know, make believe story. You know, the, the evidence is ours. We have it because it's out there. Declaring the glory of God every single day, over and over, for all recorded history. I love when they start arguing millions of years ago, and they use terms like prehistory. You know what prehistory means? We have no recorded evidence. That's what that means. And they'll admit to that. So if you have no recorded evidence, it's complete hypothesis, conjecture, and theory, which cannot be verified. Recorded history that we do have in Turkey, Indiana. About, about six to ten thousand years old. Uh, you know, go. Okay. Those trees that we have. Hmm. That's Bell and Bible says. Imagine that. Oh. We, actually, no. we actually saw this video where, you know, how they, the Israelites crossed the chariot, the chariots were lost in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. They actually found right. raining, like, wheels of yeah. rain. Yeah, there's evidence for it. Yeah. But, like, So anyway, I get off on that. I don't know, but um, so then he goes on. Um, so God's system of running things. And one day, praise God, we will bring that back and reinstitute that. That's gonna be great. So uh, and then it goes on to if there's a servant. A lot of people will say, "Oh, I'm not a servant." 
that's where slavery come from. And it was the Christians in the South, and that's why we have slaves. Again, that's fucking baloney BS. It was actually, um, again, that's not understanding and knowing history. It was actually most of the African um, people themselves who rounded up their own people and shipped them off to slavery. Not justifying any of it, but um, it's not, my point is, whether, I don't care what people called themselves, it's not what the Bible prescribes. What, has, what, it, what it talks about within slavery is more of what we would, we would consider um, and define as an indentured servant type of model. In other words, you fall into debt, you can't pay your bills, so you basically become the servant or the help of whoever you're in debt to until you work that off or until the year of release. Whenever that seven years, if you can pay it off in seven years, you do. If you can't, then the year release comes and you pay that off. And then it goes on and say, If thy brother, a Hebrew man or a human woman, this is verse 12, be sold to thee and serve thee six years, and the seventh year shall let him go out free from thee. Nobody tells you this part of what the Bible says. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. So you can't just let him go away, you know, dirt, poor, to be a beggar again. Thou shalt furnish him, verse 14, liberally out of thy flock. Out of thy floor, of thy winepress, of that wherein Yahweh thy God has blessed thee, thou shalt give him. Thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing this day. And uh, so they were supposed to basically give him a starter package so they could get back on their feet. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So it does seem, I think, It is doing. If it's a foreigner, yeah. So if it's a foreigner or a prisoner, it is different. The year of release does not apply to them. Now, if that the rules of standard. Oh yeah, they still yeah. You couldn't treat yeah. There were there's other rules of how to treat them and care for them humanely. They couldn't be treated like human cattle, like um, like we, we saw with the African slaves. They, there was rules governing how they were to be treated. There were certain instances where uh, if they were mistreated, they were automatically let go. They would be let go free. And um, Now, the other true thing is, if this person, um, I'll use the term converted, converts, not in the same sense as we typically think of it today, but if they, if they become an Israelite by, by bringing Passover and professing that your God is my God, my God is your God, they become an Israelite, and no longer can they be held as a slave. And they go; they then get all the rights of an Israelite in the seventh year. They go free, and so the same rights can apply to them if they uh, if they immigrate. Because when they become a citizen of Israel, all the rights and blessings pass on to them as well. Um, so, yeah, that kind of. All right, what else did I have here? Blah, 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 year of release. Okay, then in chapter 16, it goes through all the festivals, Passover, um, all the way up to um, Sukkot, and uh, our tour portion ends in uh, 17. So, and, and there's three times a year that all the males of Israel would appear before God. At Passover, um, um, Shavuot, and uh, Sukkot. All the men, all the males in Israel were to go up to Jerusalem. And so that was three times a year everybody had to go up. 
All right, so that is our Torah portion. We'll quickly look at Isaiah chapter 54. It's pretty short. Verse 7 through 55.5. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thou foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of gates, oh, I'm sorry, windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and thy borders of pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of thy children. And righteousness thou shalt be established, and thou shalt be far from oppression. For thou shalt not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals of the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment Thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of Yehovah, and their righteousness is of me, saith Yehovah. That um, that voice, 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 verse is famously taken out of context and used for pretty much any, you know, name it, claim it, blab, blab it, and grab it type of uh, situation. But Israel, I'm sorry, Isaiah is specifically speaking <coughs> Israel. If you want the benefits and the blessings of these promises, they've got to be part of Israel. And that happens by being crafted in through Yeshua's blood. Because everybody is adopted by God. Uh, 55. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money, that which is not... For that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Decline your near ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader, and a commander for the, to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of Jehovah thy God, for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Uh, the prophecy, famous prophecy of uh, the nations running unto Israel because of Jehovah thy God, the Holy One of Israel, being grafted in. Alright, now let's go up to quickly our apostolic portion is in John... And we're going to read close to 17 because it's um, technically the Lord's Prayer. You know, we always think of the Lord's Prayer as our Father who art in heaven, and then that's really that's the prayer that we pray. But this is Yeshua's prayer that he says unto you, God. Chapter 17, John, verse 1. These words spoke Yeshua and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and 
Yeshua Messiah, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. <clears throat> I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. There's so many amazing truths embedded in here, and I'm not going to cover them all, but... Six, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the word which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Pray for them. Pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be as one, may be one, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now am I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. That's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a sermon in itself. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I thee for these alone, but for them also which shall believe in me through their word, that they all may be as one, be, be, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherein thou hast loved me may be in them. It's just such an awesome, awesome passage, obviously, by Yeshua. But to me, this, what he writes here, is the definition of the unity that God wants in his people. His word in them, them in him, he in him. Because that's who God is. God is His Word. He is the Father. The Father is Yeshua. And when we're in Him and He's in us, His Word's in us, and we're doing it, and we're walking it out as He did. 
kind of sounds like a tongue twister, but it's really all saying the same thing. And that is what one. You know, and, and, and there is a, a, a oneness and that unity that comes from being in God and keeping his word. Everything else is adding to, taking away, and uh, mutates things. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you so much for this day and the word and the truth of it. Give it to us. Read it, word it. Uh, read it and uh, apply it to our lives. Help us just to uh, know you and know your word more that we may be uh, representatives of you and your word in the world and that others may come to believe as you have said they will. Uh, so I pray that you would just uh, um, work through your spirit in us and through us in the world. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.